Welcome to today's Education Technology Podcast brought to you by MarketScale. I'm Sean Heath, and today's conversation is with Dr. Abby Brown, Professor and Chair of the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Instructional Technology Education for East Carolina University. Dr. Brown, hello. How are you today? Hi, Sean. I'm fine. Thank you. I'm pretty excited. I have to say, normally I try and keep these podcasts around 15 minutes. Today, I think based on your knowledge and how excited I am to talk to you, we might get close to six hours. So I hope you didn't have anything else planned for today. (laughs) Nope, nope. Cleared my schedule. Perfect. Now, I do want to say, before we get started, thank you so much for taking the time today. I realize that classes aren't actually back in session until next week, but thanks for taking time during your winter break to come on and talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's an honor. I appreciate uh, being invited. So before we get started, I want to brag on you a little bit because I know you would never do this. Now, I did mention that you are a professor and chair. You actually aren't just sort of in charge of of directing East Carolina University's sort of path through the advancing technology in education, but you're also a full-time professor. So I'm surprised you have enough time to come on and talk to me today because I'm sure those lesson plans aren't going to write themselves. Well, the trick is to just not sleep, I think, although I'm, I'm kidding about that. There's plenty of time for everything. But yeah, it's uh, I, I, I have the uh, distinct honor of being the chair of my department, working with some fantastic people. And I also get to teach as a as a professor. And uh, now part of part of teaching and what I really find fascinating. Let me just take a, a, a brief sidestep here and talk about East Carolina University. Now, East Carolina University, for people who are unaware, is home to nine undergraduate colleges, a graduate school, four professional schools. The list of degrees that this school offers is absolutely absurd. You even have a campus in Certaldo Alto, Italy. Well, we're yeah. Well, we're the we're part of the uh, University of North Carolina system, and so we're uh, I think we're the third or the fourth largest university within that 16 or 17 school system. So yeah, we're pretty big. The 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 number of degrees that you offer is in the hundreds. You offer 16 doctoral degree programs, four first professional degree programs, 76 master's degree programs, and 102 bachelor's degree programs. The list of topics that East Carolina University is responsible for teaching is massive. And I think that might be a little bit of an understatement. So what I want to ask you today is a couple of very simple questions. First off, I would like to know what journey did you have to take to wind up at East Carolina University? Oh, well, you know, you have to just, first of all, you just have to be very, very lucky. Uh, But uh, the journey that I I took, um, well, I actually... uh, my undergraduate degree, my preparation was uh, to go into uh, theater arts, to be in the, uh, uh, I have an undergraduate degree in theater. And uh, I uh, grew up in New York City and thought that I was going to go to school in Philadelphia for my smaller town experience. I realized Philly's not a small town. Uh, but, uh, But then I was going to come back to New York and never leave. And here it is years later, and I live in North Carolina. Uh, I, um, uh, I 
I worked in the theater industry for a few years and actually put myself through school for my master's degree uh, doing uh, voiceover recordings uh, and, uh, you know, call before midnight tonight and uh, became an English teacher in the in in eighth grade English, teaching eighth grade English in Ridgewood, New Jersey. And this is about the late 80s. And uh, Macintosh computers were just coming into the classrooms. And it turned out that I had kind of a an odd uh, sympathy with, with computing tools and computers, and especially the Macintosh, which was a graphical interface, to me was kind of like a small theater. And I started making uh, pieces of instruction for my students. And I, I don't know how many people are still aware of this. It used to be fairly common knowledge back in the 80s. But English teachers were early adopters of computing tools because they had a specific need, and that was word processing. So uh, I was taking my students to the, the computer lab all the time. I started making little uh, uh, animations for them, instructional pieces, and uh, got pretty good at it And uh, to the point where I decided to go off and get my uh, doctoral degree, my PhD, at Indiana University, uh, which is, uh, I think, justifiably famous for uh, its instructional systems technology program. It's one of the, <laughs> I know I'm biased, of course, but I think it's one of the best programs in the world. And uh, became, uh, earned my PhD, which made me qualified to teach uh, a college and uh, uh, started teaching, taught for a few years at Washington State University, taught for a few years at Cal State University Fullerton, and uh, then moved to East Carolina University. And I've been here probably, I guess, for about uh, 11, 12 years. Uh, and um, I, teach, I teach instructional technology. I teach people how to teach with uh, innovative technologies. And I have no idea if I answered your question or not. I just started talking and there we are. You absolutely did. As someone who has some extensive uh, life working in theater myself, you actually were destined to wind up where you are because theater is actually another form of instruction. It's just a way of passing an emotional piece of knowledge to s disseminate that to a larger group, hopefully a large group of people who can then assimilate some degree of that emotional intelligence and carry it on with them. So you were destined to be a teacher from day one. Well, and it's also, they're both, I think you're right, but they're, they're both very much um, carefully crafted communication uh, events. So yes, in one case it's to it's to literally instruct, whereas in the other case of theater, it's to instruct and entertain. But there is an entertainment uh, element, I think, also to uh, uh, teaching for for just instruction. But yeah, I think you're right. They're they're very very similar, similar activities. There is a a challenge that comes along with being an instructor that not all people learn best through the same procedures. So you have to sort of juggle the visual learners with the tactile learners, with the emotional learners, with the intuitive learners. And have you found that technology is, while it is moving unstoppably forward, have you found that technology is making that sort of the ability to encompass all styles of learning? Has technology facilitated that? 
That's an interesting question. Yes, uh, I think it has, especially as it improves in terms of my ability. Well, first of all, I should explain. I teach entirely online and I teach methods of teaching online. So uh, my audience is, uh, it's all graduate students and they're, so they're a fairly sophisticated crowd. And they are, they have high expectations because they are planning to be, or they already are online instructors. So, uh, I have to kind of keep on my toes. Uh, but it's become easier and easier over time because it used to be really difficult to create an audio experience for someone online. And now it's not that difficult. And, uh, it used to be very difficult to create a video experience. Now it's not that difficult. It still takes some practice. And it takes some uh, technical skill, but it's uh, the the tools are improving uh, every day. So it does become a lot easier. When you talk about different learners and different learning styles, though, something that I kind of feel compelled to point out is that, yes, I want everybody to feel comfortable as they're learning, but I also want them to develop skill with the styles that they aren't comfortable with. So, for example, if they if they are they prefer audio as a learning tool. I want them to learn how to learn visually because I want to kind of push the envelope for them, make them, help them become better all around learners. So we're not really, we're not really playing just to their personal preference, but we're trying to develop their strengths in all areas. So as technology improves and evolves at such a rapid pace, and hopefully the human machine interface that we have with technology improves and becomes more integrated and uh, less uncanny valley, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that we are, and I, this is such a loaded question, but I have to ask it. Do you feel that we are at sort of a crossroads where in the past, teaching, per se, has been, to a certain degree, a one-on-one -on -one, uh, interpersonal communication and transfer of knowledge. And there's a certain degree of intimacy that comes along with that, that I believe strengthens the foundation of the knowledge that you're accepting and helps you build a better emotional connection to it and possibly allows you to apply that knowledge with a little more confidence moving forward. I know this is a very rambling question, but I'm getting to a point, I promise. Is there a danger in teachers learning to teach in ways that are a little more separated or a little more non-personal? Well, I, I understand what your fear is here. And uh, if I can sort of re-articulate it a little bit toward how I've been approaching it the last couple of years. Um, there's a there's a big difference between programmed instruction and uh, teacher learner interaction. So programmed instruction, which has been around since the 30s and the 40s, uh, is um, it, it's that we a lot of times we call that e-learning, where it's you're not expected to really have a lot of interaction with a live instructor. It's kind of put together in advance so that it's a series of multimedia pieces and some developed interactivity. And it's it might be personalized a little using some clever uh, AI and some 
some clever programming, but it's really not meant to be a personal experience or a small group personal experience. Then there's another kind of teaching. The other kind of teaching is what you were just sort of getting at before, which is the idea of an instructor working with a, a group of people, all of whom get to know each other. So that at the end of the experience, they all know each other a bit better. They've strengthened their own network of people who are interested in the same subject. And they have, they've received a lot of personal feedback. My specialty area is that kind of instruction. When I teach, for example, at, uh, at East Carolina, my courses are entirely online. But by the end of each course, I get to know my students pretty well. And I hope they feel that they get to know me pretty well. I have, okay, I'm going to brag. This is crazy bragging, but um, I'm the only guy, the, the University of North Carolina gives out uh, a handful of awards for excellence in teaching, one for each university every year. And these are just general teaching awards. I'm the only guy to have received that award who teaches entirely online. And that award is based in no small part on uh, student recommendations. So. I get to know my students pretty darn well. The trick is to keep the numbers small, to keep it to a community, uh, typically uh, 25 or less, so that you, you don't lose track of people. And you think of them as people, not just as names on a list. And the other thing is to actually set things up so that you have regular communication. We don't talk synchronously, but we do have a lot of asynchronous communication every day of the week in my courses. And so I, I think I'm proof that you can kind of keep that kind of a uh, committed relationship with students as opposed to developing e-learning. E-learning is very, very good at, for very specific things. And so is this personal relationship piece for very specific things. But I think the two of them dovetail nicely overall in the instructional world. It's just that it's important to keep in mind that there are these two options that are kind of the polar ends of, of the, the spectrum. So you bring up an interesting point that all of your instruction is online. I have a teenage daughter who does not use her phone as a phone. She does not talk to her friends on her phone. She doesn't really like phone calls, but group text, chat, Snapchat, Instagram, that is how she's communicating. That is a generational communication style that did not exist when I was a teenager. It just no one, you, everybody communicated uh, just one-to-one -one interpersonal communication. And the, while some people will lament and gnash their teeth and wail and rend their garments at the death of interpersonal communication, it's just evolving into a different style of that informational transfer. And you have managed, I think, to grasp that generational modus operandi of communication and have been able to form or inform your teaching through that method of communication and do so very effectively. Well, thank you. It's nice of you to say. I, I, I often remind people that, that I have the privilege, pleasure, and problem of, of teaching with cutting-edge technologies, that I'm constantly experimenting with cutting-edge tools. The problem with anything that has a cutting edge is that you can bleed profusely uh, from working with them. 
And I think I've bled out, <laughs> metaphorically anyway, a fair amount. And that a lot of it is trial and error. And a lot of it is just trying to keep up with the new tools and the new styles of communication. Uh, I'm with you. I grew up uh, uh, with the, with long telephone conversations. And, uh, but I'm also kind of watching the minutes if they were long distance because they were so expensive. Um, but that, uh, but that younger people today do not think in terms of having those very long telephone conversations. They think more in terms of asynchronous texting back and forth with each other and that they are still keeping the, the bottom line is that they're still keeping very much in touch with their friends and their family. It's just that they're using a different method to keep in touch. So since you are so immersed in the instructional technology education and instructional design, do you feel a certain extra responsibility in – you spoke about wanting to force your students to into areas that they are maybe not comfortable with as far as teaching styles or, or learning styles. Not force, but – not force guide guide them <laughs> right what uh pr yes guide them introduce them to and help them acclimate themselves to a broader range of teaching styles or methods learning styles yes mm -hmm. learning styles do you feel sort of a a responsibility to also add in your life experience as far as teaching styles so they get an extra maybe an extra gear that wouldn't necessarily be considered part of technical instructional learning uh well you know we don't a lot of what we do in instructional technology isn't really what we would normally consider technical a lot of it has to do with design strategy and just sort of the overall communication uh, strategies i I think I, I, you'd have to ask my students. I suspect they would say that I kind of go on and on sometimes with my own personal life stories. And I'm not sure how much they really need to hear about all of my little moments, uh, uh developing as a, as an instructional professional. But I get excited to share that with them because I can see the pattern evolving that, that, and hoping that it happens for them as well, that they get this, feel the same kind of excitement that I do. Um, so yeah, I like to share. I'm not sure that it's critically important that I do, but I feel at least it's socially important that I do. It's, a, it's an opportunity. I like to hear what they have to say too. They tell me about their teaching experiences. I have one final question and, and I, again, this is open-ended, but I feel that this is working. So I'm going to continue to ask these type of questions. So I have one more before I let you, you are in fact on the bleeding edge with regard to instructional design and technology. Do you see a trend or a specific theoretical advance that really has you excited and optimistic about the future of teaching the teachers? Uh, yes, I, well, I do. I, I spend a lot of time with my colleague, Tim Green, uh, working on a, a podcast that we put out every two weeks uh, about the trends and issues in educational technology. And uh, I've been thinking about this a lot. And I think that um, I think I see a couple of big trends. The biggest trend that we've seen over the past few years is online learning, the idea of teaching and learning online, but that there's a lot of little sort of trendlets, little bits, little smaller trends that are all 
sort of through that micro micro learning is an important one. The idea of badges or creating small learning moments. Um, this personal connection that we talked about earlier, uh, creating instruction that that brings people closer together, not further apart, and uh, also uh, th this idea of um, discussing its it, the the viability of online learning. That is how it's accepted by institutions and employers, because uh, up until the past few years, it's been more heavily uh, sort of. Uh, considered a, a second class way of, of, of getting uh, one's degree, but that's not really true. That it's just like anything, a, a good instruction creates good learning and it, it, you can use these, these, uh, this online process pretty well. Now, uh, switching gears wildly, I also see another big trend in virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, for training and for what we call just-in-time instruction, which is sort of the heads-up displays that provide lots of details for something that somebody might not have been able to see before. So that's a really innovative technology that I think uh, is going to blossom in the coming years. Uh, another thing we're going to see a lot more of is open educational resources, because again, we talked about the idea that these technologies become easier and easier for people to deal with. Well, as they become easier to deal with, more and more people can contribute their own pieces of instruction and make them available for everybody to use. And finally, because of all this and the, 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 the ability to use all these tools, there is more interest, I think, in instructional design. And we're seeing more of that, uh, that we see more articles about and more discussions about the act of designing instruction itself. And that uh, we'll see a lot more of this as a uh, as a job title with larger institutions and as a design field. It's always been a design field. It's always been a job title at, at many institutions, but I think we're going to see its expansion. And so those are kind of my, those are my personal observations of the, the hot trends right now in our field. The name of your podcast can be, it can be found on trendsandissues.com, correct? Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Marvelous. Wanted to give a little, just a little plug there. I highly recommend if you want to hear more insight and less rambling from me, that you go to trendsandissues.com and listen to Dr. Brown's podcast. Today, I've been speaking to Dr. Abby Brown, the professor and chair from the Department of Mathematics, Science, and Instructional Technology Education at East Carolina University. Dr. Brown, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really do appreciate it. Sean, thank you very much. Have an extremely safe, warm, and happy new year, and I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thank you.